Since time is short and I always have too much to say, I'm going to jump right into it. So normally I would give an introduction and say something inviting, but I want to jump right into the very thing that was just said because time is short. Um, please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, to chapter 4, to the passage that we just heard about, because in it is something that we're going to prove to you that the Word of God is the foundation you need in order to worship God correctly. Okay, so John chapter 4, and I'm going to jump right in and hope to get you out of here by 1230. Um, Jesus is in Samaria, and he's talking to the Samaritan woman. And starting in verse 20, I'm going to read for you this very important passage. The woman is talking with him, and the woman says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship in the temple. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. In other words, where you worship isn't the point. And then this is the, the, the core verse, verse 22. John chapter 4, verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And that's the title of this message. We worship what we know. But the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Now the last two verses are critical, but it's verse 22 that I want to focus on. Jesus said, we worship what we know, but you're worshiping someone you don't know. And as we can see from his words to the Samaritan woman, it's possible to worship and yet do it incorrectly because you're worshiping the one you don't know. It's still worship, but it's not the worship God is looking for. And in order to understand why the Samaritans were not worshiping the right one, why they, were, they didn't know the one they're worshiping, I'm going to back up and give you just a little bit of history. You may have already had this, depending on what year you're in, but history is important. God took the nation of Israel, and when Solomon died, he took ten of the tribes of Israel away from the family of David. Two tribes were left, Judah and Benjamin. They stayed in the, in the kingdom, the southern kingdom. And he created the northern kingdom of Israel. And the northern kingdom of Israel was ten tribes that were set up by God because they broke off from the house of David. And Omri, the sixth king of the northern tribe, bought a hill and built a city on it. And he called that city Samaria. And he made that the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And eventually, it was called the land of the capital city, Samaria. And eventually, it just became known as Samaria, meaning the land that belonged to the northern kingdom of Israel. And it was a whole area as well as a city. Well, eventually, the Israelites keep disobeying God and disobeying. And in 722, the Assyrian king comes in and he takes over the northern kingdom, wipes it out. And he didn't want them to rebuild. He didn't want them to regroup because he knew they had this bad habit of coming back. So he's like, all right, I'm going to take all the Israelites out of this land. I'm going to bring in other people to replace them. And these other people 
will make sure that Israel never reforms and I won't have to worry about it. So I'm going to read to you the actual event in 2 Kings, and this is all part of Jesus' answer, why the Samaritans were worshiping someone they didn't even know. This is, this is what happened. So I'm going to go to 2 Kings chapter 17. I'm not going to use any slides or anything because of time. 2 Kings 17, 22. The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight as he had spoken by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria unto this day. So by the time this was written, they were still there. The ten tribes were gone. Verse 24, And the king of Assyria brought the people from Babylon, and then they list the cities that are hard for us to pronounce, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. Everything's good. Verse 25, at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Oops, we have a problem. So the king of Assyria was told, the nations that you carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria, the non-Jews, do not know the rituals or the customs of the God of the land. That's a problem. Therefore, he has sent lions among them, and behold, they're killing them, because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. So the king, naturally, verse 27, the king of Assyria commanded, send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there. Let him go there and dwell there and teach them the rituals or the customs of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Well, that sounds good, except, but every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Sumerians had made, every nation in the cities in which they lived. So they brought in these people, they brought in the priests, and they said, okay, these are the customs you have to have in order not to be killed by the lions. So along with your own gods, you must honor and obey the God of the land. So it was kind of this weird mix. And it was so bad, the Assyrians thought that the ritual, the external forms of worship, were all that was needed in order for the God of the land to be satisfied. They assumed that it was the, the form of worship, the ritual, the custom. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for you to do it the right way. And if you do it the right way, everything will be good. And so the new Samaritans, the people who took over the land, who were brought there, they're now the Samaritans. They had both a Israeli priest teaching them and their own gods. And they mixed the two. But what they didn't have was a knowledge of God by covenant, by revelation, or by relationship. All of that was missing. They had a knowledge of God, but not based on something. And this is so bad in Ezra. And I'm going to jump up. In Ezra, in chapter 4, King Cyrus told the Jews, you can go back now. Okay, so they go back to Israel, and the Samaritans are still there. And so in chapter 4, the Samaritans approach Zerubbabel. Listen to this, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 of Ezra. They approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build the temple with you. For we worship your God as you do. 
And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of the king of Assyria who brought us here. So they're like, hey, we're one of you because we sacrifice to him. We worship him just like you do. But they answered, but Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the father's houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us in the building a house to our God, but we will alone build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Right from that time, they said, oh, no, 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 no. You're not actually one of us. You may sacrifice to our God. You may have our rituals. You may do the same things we do, but we know him and you don't. You're not one of us. So when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman and he says, you're worshiping someone you don't know, the reason they didn't know him is because all they had was how to worship him, but they didn't have him. They knew the right way to approach him, the right words to say, the right sacrifice, the right lamb, the right bull, the right season, a new moon. Bring the... They knew all the right things to do, but there was something missing in their knowledge that the Israelites had. The Israelites actually knew the God they were worshiping. And that's what Jesus was saying. You're worshiping someone you don't even know. And this is going to lead us to the foundation. Now I want to take you to another passage. One of my favorite passages actually. One of the few times in the history of the world when the God of the universe that cannot be contained allowed a human to get a glimpse of him, Moses. Not only did Moses talk face to face with God in the tabernacle, but Moses said, Lord, let me see you. If you're going to go with us, let me see you. And God says, well, you can't look on me and live, but I know what I'll do. So by special revelation of who this God is, God shows up. So I'm going to jump to Exodus, and I want to, I want to, I want to build on the foundation of Scripture this morning and show you why it's so needed. Exodus chapter 34. Starting in verse 5, I'm going to read 5 to 8. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with Moses. And the Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord himself is about to tell us about himself. And he's saying it to Moses. He's saying, this is who I am. He's standing there. I can't imagine the very moment that the God of the universe stood next to that man and said, here I am. Now look at me. This, this is an incredible event. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. And then listen to what happens. God is proclaiming who he is to this man who can see a glimpse of him. And Moses quickly bowed his head to the earth and worshipped. And when it says bowed his head to the earth, it literally means he touched his forehead onto the ground. He went down as low as a man can possibly get, put his face on the ground in the dirt to Honor the God who was now revealing himself to Moses. This, this is an incredible event. The man sees God, hears the truth about God, and has one response. Worship. Now, this, this kind of worship, this thing that Moses did right here, has to be more than an external expression or ritual 
I don't care how beautiful or correct that ritual is. See, the Samaritans had the right ritual, the right custom. As beautiful as that is, unless you know the one you're worshiping, it means nothing. And the only way Moses knew him is because God revealed himself. Otherwise, who is he bowing to? See, this event says that the Samaritans, they, had, they thought the form and the, 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 the thing they worship with is all they need. And it's like, no, no, it's the one you're worshiping that matters. So true and genuine worship must be of God, the true God, that has revealed himself to us. So this event happens, it's powerful. But Moses didn't keep it to himself, did he? It was written down. And it was given to God's people to say, this is the God you're to worship. See, the written word of God is God's revelation of himself saying, do you want to worship me? This is who I am. Because it's not worship if you don't know me. What, what, what is it? It's a sound. It's nothing unless you know me. The basis of the worship of Moses was the truth about God and the character of the God that God was proclaiming. Picture it. Moses is standing there and God says, this is who I am. And the moment he heard the truth about God, who is faithful with steadfast love, merciful and slow to anger and kind, that God was the one that he immediately just said, I, 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 I can't stand up in your presence. I can't. And he just fell on his face. The word spoken by God about himself to Moses was then written down. Can, can I borrow your Bible? Look. Look. They're right here. The, the words that God spoke were put on paper so that just Moses alone didn't have them. It wasn't just for Moses that those words were spoken. It was for us that we would know the one we worship. Who is God? Who is God? Well, I believe it's written. Oh, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, full of, abounding of, overflowing with faithfulness and love. Okay, so, so the idea that worship began, worship began when Moses had a revelation of God, and then Moses wrote down that revelation so that Jesus could later say, we worship the one we actually know because he told us about him. It goes even deeper than that. Even deeper than that because the thing that God revealed about himself and then wrote down actually was also about Jesus. L listen, Luke 24, two verses, 44. Then Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things, this is after his resurrection, that all things must be fulfilled which were, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Verse 27. And beginning at Moses, the revelation, and the prophets... He expounded to them. He explained to them all the, in all the scriptures all the things concerning himself. What's the point? Jesus is saying, look, all of that was written so you could know me. All of that was written about me. And the word of God is God's self-revelation about himself 
to us and is the primary foundation for the very thing we do, faith in Christ and therefore worship. Without that foundation, you're worshiping the one you don't know. Listen, I'm going to make a statement that I want you to understand. Worship flows out of a relationship with God. But as we see with the Samaritans, it must be built upon the truth about God from His Word. It may flow from your relationship, but if your foundation isn't real, isn't strong, you're actually worshiping the one you don't know. And that's a dangerous place to be. If the truth about God from His Word isn't known and believed, the relationship is nothing more than an acquaintance, and the worship is nothing more than ritual. I want you to hear that, and I want you to, I want you to remember that. If you don't know and believe the truth about God, if you don't know what He says about Himself, if you don't believe what He says about Himself, your relationship is just an acquaintance. You don't even know Him. That's not a real relationship. And your worship is nothing more than the ritual that the Samaritans tried to do. I'll do it right, and He will bless me. He'll stop sending the lions. Okay, you want me to sacrifice this when? Is this the right way to approach you with blood? Do I have it right? has nothing to do with it. The more you know about God from His Word, the more you can love Him, the more you can adore Him, the more you can worship Him. But the same is true in reverse. The less you know about God from His Word, the less you will love Him, the less you will adore Him, and your worship will be ritual. Any image of God in your heart or mind that isn't based on the Word of God, on the Scriptures, that doesn't flow from God's revelation about Himself, leaves you with nothing more than what the Samaritans had. Knowledge of the ritual. They were taught the ritual. They weren't taught God. Many Christians, unfortunately, try to worship God without knowing the God of the Bible. Simply because they don't have the Bible in their heart and mind. They think that singing a song, saying the right words, having the right custom, ritual, form, is what it's all about. That's worship. No, it's not. If it isn't based on who God revealed himself to be, if your knowledge of the word of God isn't complete, then your worship is incomplete. This is what I'm trying to get at, that our worship must be of the one we know, and the one we know comes from the Bible. Now, you know me from class, most of you, some, most of you, so you know that I like to pick on people, and those who go to my church know that I like to call people out. So Lydia, guess what? Sorry. <laughs> if Lydia tells me that the God she worships is a very hard, demanding God, who doesn't forgive easily. I'm going to say to her, you're worshiping the wrong God. But if she says to me, it says to me in the Bible, God is slow to anger and quick to forgive. He's the one I'm worshiping. Then I say, she's worshiping the God of the Word, the God of the Bible. Her knowledge of God is based on the Bible or her own opinion, her own experience, the rituals of men. We think we can worship without knowing the word because worship is all about music and song and the right words and let other people write the words and I'll just sing. But who are you singing to? The one you know or the one you're just singing about? The Samaritans were worshiping, but they didn't know him. 
I want you to also notice, and this applies specifically to me, that the form of worship that Moses did was not musical. Now, I say that because, and Brother Dick, actually the reason he asked me to speak is because my form of worship is probably different than 99% of you. I am the most unmusical, un, unmusically talented. Give, you, uh, if there's a negative scale of music, I'm on it. Okay? No rhythm. I don't feel it. I don't care. What's more, the only emotions that I feel when I listen to you sing a worship song and I say it in my head are all wonder and thankfulness. I am the most non-emotional worshiper you can ever possibly have. I am in awe. I am in wonder. I am grateful and thankful, but I don't feel anything. My wife is like, oh, tears running down her face and hands lifted and just, oh my goodness, she's just into it and she feels God and God feels her and they're just having this great time together and I'm standing next to her going, good for you. <laughs> Moses wasn't singing. There were no instruments. But it was true worship because he was in awe. He was overwhelmed. He honored God the best way he knew. I will, I will humble myself to your greatness. It was the greatness of God's character. It was the greatness of God that moved him to plant himself face down and say, I give you all the glory and all the honor with no music. See, I can, I can relate to him. I really can. Because worship of God is showing him reverence and honor. I don't care how you do it. And we're going to hear more about that. And I make this point to say this, and I want to read this to you. It is easy to let music and the melody that is beautifully played and sung for God be more about the enjoyable experience that I'm having than it is about the one you're actually adoring. See, it's easy for me. I don't have that problem. You could have the most beautiful worship song in the world that everyone is in tears and just like floating in the air and I'd be dead inside. I'm like, yeah, oh, great song. Well, I'm with you, weirdos. I don't have that. All I have is the truth of who God is. And it, it moves me to humility and reverence and awe. I don't have the emotion. I don't have the... The music isn't enjoyable to me. Literally. I listen to the music. It's like, I get... No, never mind. That's important because I'm going to say that sometimes people enjoy the worship more than they're actually worshiping. They're actually in it because they love it instead of because of the one who they're worshiping. And that's a danger. A huge danger. But when I look at worship in the scriptures, until David comes along, most of the worship was not musical. It's David who really changed that and added that. But he added it. He didn't replace true worship. Because true worship is, is the God you know giving him reverence and honor and thanks and glory and praise. I don't care how you do it. I don't care if your worship is sacrificing a lamb or if your worship is singing a song. I don't care if it's a poem or an instrument. I don't care if your worship is falling on your face or lifting your heads in your hand high. The form and the ritual is not worship. That is how you express worship. Do you hear me? So I can relate to Moses. I don't know if Moses could sing. He later wrote a song, so he probably could. Jerk. But anyway. When all you have is the words and the truth, when all you have is the revelation about God, 
and you don't have the music and you don't have the emotion, oh, it's so much easier to keep it pure because it's all I've got. But it's just as dangerous and difficult for those of you who are musical. I mean, I'm, I was looking up there today. At the talent that we had up there today just, it blows me away. And, and Lydia, that's why I was picking on you. I'm watching up, I'm, I was watching you playing the guitar and singing, and man, you were into it. And you could just see it. You just, you just, I, that experience to me is so amazing because I've never had it. But then I have to ask, is it the experience that she's really about? And I'm not saying you were. I'm not, I'm not accusing you. Or is it the God she's worshiping? Is it the ritual like the Samaritans? Or is that just flowing from her knowledge of God? And it can be both. Now, I, I envy you. I do. I wish I could play or sing or dance or clap or anything. But So my challenge, my caution to all of you musically normal worshipers <laughs> is to make sure that your worship isn't really for you. See, don't send the lions. Quick, somebody figure out how to make this God happy. It was all for them. They, they, they missed the whole point. And then centuries later, Jesus is like, you guys worship, you don't, you don't even know who you're worshiping. Because it wasn't based on the word of God. It wasn't based on God's own revelation about himself. So here's my question to you. Do you love worship? How many of you love worshiping God? Why? Do you love worshiping him because it's fun and enjoyable? Or do you love worshiping him because you're such, in such awe and wonder and you're so thankful you can't do anything else? There's nothing wrong with enjoying worship as long as that's not your motive. As long as that's not why you're worshiping. Worship is in the heart expressed in a thousand ways. So, Time is short. It's five minutes to finish. If you're not reading the word of God, if it isn't filling your heart and mind, do you know the one you're worshiping? Do you know the one you're singing to and about? Is it possible to worship properly with a partial knowledge of God? People ask me, you always push reading the Bible. Man, as a pastor, that's all you talk about. You talk about it all the time. You talk about it with students. You, you, theology one all the way through. You keep telling everybody, read your Bible. I'm not saying read your Bible. I'm saying know the God who has revealed himself. Because that is your foundation. And without it, you don't even have a relationship. Without it, it's not really worship. Without it, you're making an idol. An idol is a false image. Your image of God must be based on what he says about himself. That's the true image of God. But if it's not based on that word, it's not the true image of God. It is an idol. And we do not want to be idol worshipers. We want to worship the one we know. Do you know him? And I'm not talking about, yeah, me and God in the prayer closet, we're like this. What God are you talking to? The one that the scriptures reveal? That you know because you're reading them? Or the God that you think you know? The God you think you understand? Please don't let... Please don't believe the lie that personal relationship supersedes the word of God. Personal relationship is based on 
the Word of God. Worship is based on the Word of God. The foundation is the Word of God. That's why that little clip was so beautiful. All you need to do is make the foundation off one little half an inch. And by the time you hit the 10th floor, you're six inches apart. If the foundation is not solid and secure and firm and straight, your whole building will eventually be off. So is your worship off? Well, if it's not based on a good foundation, it is. I can guarantee you. You may not see it immediately, but eventually it'll come out. Do you know how I tell if a worship song is good or not? Does it line up with Scripture? Does it line up with Scripture? That's, all, that, that's really all I have to do. Is I just have to take the Word of God and say, is the God in this song, does He match the God of the Scriptures? And if not, somebody's foundation is off. So, Brother Dick asked me as a non-musical person to talk to all you normal musical people and say, please, treat the Word of God for what it is. Divine revelation about the one you claim to know. And if you really know him, your worship will be sweet and pure and move the heart of God because you're worshiping the right one. But if your knowledge of the word of God is incomplete, I challenge you, your building is crooked and your worship is not good. Please make your building straight by having the right foundation, please. Cults exist because the foundation is not there. Okay, don't go there. Lord, like Moses, we want to see you. Lord, I don't want my own image of you. I want to know what you say about you. Reveal yourself to us through your word that you have been so gracious and kind to give us. Lord, we ask that we would be so hungry for your revelation about yourself that we would never, not even once, not even for a moment, think of not reading it every single day. Lord, we ask that our foundation that's built on you, that our, the word of God would be the strong foundation in which we have built our entire house. So I ask you for all my brothers and sisters listening right now, for all the people in this room, make our foundation firm. Impart your word into our hearts and minds. Plant it in our hearts and minds. Fill our hearts and minds with your truth about yourself, with your word, that our worship would be of the one we know. In your name we pray.